Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I am excited to be joined by two uh, very, very cool guests, the creators of Genius Animals, question mark, which you can find over at GeniusAnimals.net for free. I am joined by Vali Shandushekran and Jun-Pierre Shiozawa, the creators of this webcomic. Again, that was released throughout 2020. We're going to talk all about the work, some questions about what it was like to create this graphic novel, Gears in the Process, as well as their own process and collaboration together. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, check out this conversation about Genius Animals. As always, enjoy the comics. And then again, links in the the show notes where you can uh, go read the whole thing for yourself right away for free right now. So check it out, Genius Animals. Here's our conversation. All right. Thanks both of you for joining so much. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Genius Animals a lot. So this was a work that I uh, was not familiar with throughout most of 2020. And then when I was doing the you know best of 2020 scans, I read uh, the article on the beat. Had a, I had an entry for uh, Genius Animals, and that was actually my introduction. And I went and I binged it and immediately reached out to, to you, Volley, and was like, I would love to talk to you guys about this. This is great. Um, so I, I really dug the work. I, how did you two get together to collaborate on this? Um, June, if you want to start, actually, that'd be great, because you mentioned, you know, this is your first sort of full graphic novel, and, and obviously uh, your first with with Volley as well. Yeah. Um, so we, we first got to know each other through... Uh, Bali's wife, Nithya, um, who I attended an, an, art, uh, an art school together. And then um, years later, um, I was doing a course at a watercolor workshop where I teach watercolor. It's in, usually in different locations. And so it was in Ireland this one year. And um, Bali and Nithya came. And they came, uh, they were like, we're thinking about doing this trip. Uh, with the family, with their kids, and um, long story short, it was the first time that we just kind of got to know each other. I, I'd already known Nithya, but it was the first time I got to know Bali, and it was just in this context of like painting out in the landscape in, in Ireland, which was which was great. Um, but it wasn't really necessarily about the idea of making a comic together. Right. Um, and then just you know we kept in touch, and then later on, I was doing some uh, basically like a personal project about my parents for Inktober later that year. And, uh, it was a little bit of a sequential in a way. It was basically like little scenes from their life. Yeah. And, um, it had a bit of a, you know, there's, there was this, this, um, illustrative, but with text comic element to it. Um, but it wasn't necessarily in the scope of like a, of a, let's say a, a full comic book or that never mind a graphic novel. Um, and then we we're ta- I was, Valley and I were just, emailing back and forth. And then he just said, he asked, I mean, have you ever thought about doing a graphic novel? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, I mean, that's like a big kind of far out dream that I would like to do or attempt at one time, but never really like concretely. And then he, um, he kind of said, well, you know, I had an idea and I have a script and he, he sent me his, uh, the project of genius animals, his, his own script. And uh, I read it like that. And I just, sort of fell in love with the story and the characters. And I just, uh, and we, I just wrote back to him pretty much right away. And I said, yeah, I, I if you really after doing this, I would love to, to, to do this with you. Nice. Nice. And Vali, so you had, how much of Genius Animals did you script out kind of upfront um, before getting, getting June on to do the art side? Did you kind of have the whole story outlined or did you have like a premise um, and, and kind of ideas and then kind of work through it as you guys went? 
I mean, we kept working on it for a really long time. Coming from the world of TV, I was, I'm really comfortable with the iterative process of rewriting a lot. Like even to the point that sometimes after June and I post a chapter, we would rewrite it and you know change some panels after it had been up already. But sure. when I, the thing I sent to June was a full, fully formed movie script. I had the whole story. This was an idea that I had in college a long time ago, and then I actually wrote it. When I was living in New York City and I was working on 30 Rock, which was an amazing job, but the hours were very intense. We would often work pretty like 10 p.m. or 2 a.m. And I was married at the time and my wife Nitya was working in India. So I would come home and there would be no one there. And I would never make plans with anybody during the week because I had no idea how long, how late I would be at work. And I got tired of being the guy who would be setting up plans to meet up for dinner or like get a, get a beer and then having to cancel. So I'd mm. come home and I would just be like, all right, I don't know what to do now. I kind of want to relax. Maybe I'll just write something fun that's just, just for me. And there was a couple things I was thinking about in this time. One was um, I wanted it to be almost a, a feature sample that I might be able to get other movie feature work from. And I thought, well, let's just write something fun that I want to do and that's kind of unshootable. And the other big thing was uh, 30 Rock was an amazing show and I loved it. And Tina Fey was very smart about wanting to subvert the notion that Jack Donahue and Liz Lemon would get together and mm-hmm. have a romantic partnership because she said – that's always what people want to do on shows and people root for that. But once you make that happen, it kind of takes away a lot of tension from the series. And then you kind of, you kind of are grappling with what to do. Like on cheers after Sam and Diane got together, they had just Diane had to leave the show and they brought it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard to recreate that tension in that engine. So she, she wanted to subvert that, and I thought she did a great job with that. And it worked because it was a workplace show, and they became friends, really tight friends without a romantic interest. But as I was worked on it, I realized, oh, I've actually in my career not written anything that's about two people who are in love with each other, which was kind of surprising because that's, you know, if you look at most art that you consume or TV and movies, that's like a major driver in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how do you get around these things and these these tropes that you've seen a million times and how do you make it feel weird? So I just tried, I came from that starting point and I had this vague idea for the story and I, I would often listen to this show called Coast to Coast that was hosted by this guy named Art Bell and then George Nori, which is this conspiracy theory radio show that mm-hmm. is, I wouldn't even say it's parodied. It's just ripped off in Genius Animals. <laughs> and I would I would just listen to it and write at night. And I was reading a lot of Thomas Pynchon at the time. And I really was into the Big Lebowski. And I liked the idea of these sort of Odyssey-like, episodic uh, stories. And having our main characters like kind of walk through all of these worlds that are funny and weird trying to figure something out. And I wrote this script and it worked. Like I did get other movie work off of it. And people would sometimes come to me and say, does it, do you want to make this an animated movie? And I would think, I don't think that's right. Because I, the, 
the hook of Genius Animals, for listeners who are unfamiliar with, is this girl is dating this guy and things seem to be going really well with it. She thinks she's found maybe even her soulmate. And one day he just disappears and she can't tell if she's been ghosted or if she's uncovering this gigantic conspiracy that's threatening all of humanity. And mm-hmm. she can't tell if she's insane in, insane or not. And I, I, when I was talking about it with people, I said, well, I think the thing that I found fun writing it is the parts of the story where you can't really tell and she can't really tell, her name is Alexandra Lakshmi, where Alexandra can't tell if she's going insane or just reading too much into things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if it's a... I feel like you have those moments in real life all the time and it should feel like that. And the analogy I would give was the matrix worked so well for me because everyone has experienced deja vu. And like that, it's a big sci-fi movie, but you're, you sit there when you're watching it and you think, man, could this be real? Like, could we be in a simulation? Could, is this an explanation for my real life? And it makes you interact with that movie in a different way than a lot of other sci-fi. I mean, I think that's why The Matrix is such a hit sci-fi franchise and that it, it hits you on a visceral level and you interact with it in a very real, real way. Um, and I was like, not that this is The Matrix, but I felt like an animated movie sort of steps you away from that. Mm-hmm. And sort of relatedly, what, I kind of put that the book to the side and years later when I saw June's Inktober sketches, I thought I thought of it making it as a graphic novel for the first time. And I became interested in just the genre of a graphic novel. And that's one of the things I reached out to June to talk about. Because the format of TV, when it's live action, you can make it feel real. You can sort of push the tone like you do in 30 Rock or some Coen Brothers movie where it's a little bit surreal. And then animated feels like it's a complete dream universe or, you know, a, or a, you know, Pan's Labyrinth style movie is a complete dreams un- dream universe. But then the graphic novel, even though it's drawings, for a lot of it, when you flip through them, like you think of it as reality. Like when you read Fun Home, even though it's drawings, you think this is Alison Bechdel's life. This is reality. Right. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's a way around this. Like we can do drawings, but people think that's just the the way it's being depicted. It could still feel like real life. And I wonder if we could people might be able to interact with the story that way. And we kind of started from that philosophical place and just talked about the 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 book. And I was really thrilled when June came back. I didn't really have a great idea of what I wanted the book to look like. I had some vague ideas that I think were very similar to his Inktober sketches, but kind of June came back and those first sketches and concepts for the book, they were fully formed. Like it, he had all these worlds and like he saw the whole thing and the vibe of it very, very fast. And that's kind of, I think how we knew, even though we had never worked together before, like, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to figure this out together and like we're going to trust each other's instincts. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So so June, you mentioned, you know, like this is, a, this is your first full-on graphic novel like this. And I think, you know, compared to, so I checked out like some of the stuff's available on your website, the Inktober sketches and some previous work. It's definitely a a stylistic progression for you. You know, it's definitely like a, a bit of a different style. Um, what, what was it like for you sort of like 
adapting to this world of genius animals in the script here, which is, you know, it's, I feel like rom-com is just so the wrong thing to call this, but there's a, there's a romance and then there's a big conspiracy mystery in the middle. And then it kind of all cycles back around to romance at the end of it. Um, how did you go about sort of formulating like the visual identity of genius animals? Cause I think even from chapter one, I mean, it's very fully formed. Like it, it looks um, it looks very ready to go in this world, you know, kind of like you were just saying a moment ago, Valley, like it's very realistic. It feels like Brooklyn sometime in the late 2010s, you know, which is when, when this thing, when the story begins, uh, what was your process there? Well, the, the love story, the love story aspect, um, you know, like there's something that was, that just felt like relatable in a lot of ways, you know, something that, you know, as a yeah young person, maybe, when you're first meeting somebody and things are exciting and like the idea of, 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 of that curiosity and fascination that, wow, maybe I've found somebody um, that I really, I felt really kind of jumped out in that initial sequence. And so I wasn't even thinking so much. I mean, you, you just mentioned rom-coms, Dave. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about comic books. I was thinking about like these romantic movies and these like romantic yeah. um kind of like traditional stories and visuals that were, you know, when Harry met Sally <laughs> type of, type of yeah, uh, sure. scenery and, and, and it is a montage. So, so when it came to, let's say translating that into panels and um, sort of moving away from what I, what I usually do, um, I guess it was thinking in terms of sort of a cinematic, um, you know, like sense of like just, the vibe and the and the tone and 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 the pace of of a progression of a relationship. Um, that's I mean, if we're talking about specifically that part of the story, you know, the beginning part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when it came to just the the entire uh, the entire project and just you know trying to think of the different characters and and the journey of the of the main characters, um, I th- I think they. There is this feeling of, you know, while you just said the, the Odyssey, um, there is this feeling of like all of these, these, these um, different figures, these almost like these mythical type figures, these sort of like these strange characters. And so a lot of it was just sort of playing around with um, being kind of like c- coming up with like these, these caricatures, you know, car- and caricatures. I used to draw caricatures when I was a, when I was a kid, that was like my first like, job, I guess. I used to draw yeah. caricatures at the t- town fair. <laughs> um, nice. yeah. And it was really one of those experiences where you just, you kind of pick up on how do you translate when somebody looks a little bit uh, sketchy or actually you don't really want to draw a sketchy caricature at a town fair. That's not usually like the clientele is not really looking for that. Um, <laughs> that would be usually a fail. But like, I learned that. I learned that, okay, if I do that sort of thing with the eyebrow and I'm drawing the eyebrow, that's going to not be successful. Um, how do you make somebody look cute? And so things like that, the, the script was just full of these possibilities of just how to translate these, these personalities into like very identifiable, um, like a certain type of person that we're familiar with in a way, but they come in and out. Right, they're they're not really in the storyline. Like they, you meet them and then and then they go. You know, you yeah. can move from person to person. So, how do you get that character trait 
how do you jump in and out of that? So that's where, as far as like my own experience goes, that's where I was thought, <clears throat> like the character design, the the, um, the environment design, like how I was able to just, okay, I could kind of play around with that. And, um, and as far as like just like learning on the fly, it was about how to structure the story, like how to break down the script to page pages and panels and so on. And that was, sure. honestly, that was just sort of learning um, learning as I went. And then just a lot of back and forth between me and Bob. Interesting. Interesting. So I have a two-part follow-up to that. Uh, one, was the was the idea kind of always to have this as a webcomic, or were there other outlets that you considered? You know, did you look at a, a Kickstarter or trying to go through publishers or whatever? Um, and then I guess the follow-up to that too is, did you actually, you mentioned, uh, Vali, going back in and editing things kind of like after the fact. Did you find that to be like actually a sort of liberating <laughs> option to be able to like, hey, this work is, it's ours, it's on a .com, we can change this whenever we want. Like, what was that kind of, I, I'm, so part one, always a webcomic. Part two, how how convenient or how useful was it to be able to change things and kind of know you had that option? Um, uh, those are both great questions. So we initially w- wanted to put it out through a small indie publisher, you know, June took the, some, an early version of the book to a con in England and um, was charming there and showed his art to people and people not surprisingly responded to it. And we were going to put it out and then the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there were all these question marks about, well, how do you even promote an indie comic book in, <laughs> in a pandemic? I mean, we can't, we, neither of us have careers in comics. I have a career in Hollywood, but that doesn't necessarily mean something in, in the indie comic world. And we can't go around talking to people and, and sort of publishing the book. It's hard. We didn't even at this time know when people would be able to go into a comic book store. Right. And there was this other part of it where, so there was all this uncertainty in the world and, and, and uh, June and I were trying to figure out how to handle it. And we had this finished book kind of burning a hole in our hard drives in a way like we were like we love this story but almost no one on earth has read it except for like an editor and our wives and (laughs) a couple of friends and we were kind of just going nuts at home and we were like well what if other people are going nuts at home can we just put the book out there and then put it out in chapters and see if we can build an audience and see if pe- like see if people like it because we want to you don't make this stuff to keep in you know we're not Henry you Dar- know Henry Darger like we're not built, we didn't build it all for our for ourselves like we wanted to share it with people and and hope that they enjoy reading something as much as we enjoy making it and kind of the upside we felt of doing that was well, if we put it out there and no one checks it out, it's not even embarrassing because no one will even know about it. Like, it, it won't even be a big, high-profile public flop. Yeah. We'll pull it off the internet and pretend like it never, it never happened. <laughs> and so we kind of, like we did everything in this book, just kind of made it up as we went along and kind of stumbled through it. We made the website. I just, it's the simplest thing. We just went on to Squarespace and put it together and we were kind of, I think, surprised ourselves by how good it looked and how easy it was to scroll and how the colors, because June made them on a computer, like kind of popped nicely on yeah. 
on a screen and it was sort of different from the process of when we were going to publisher uh, printers and trying to think like why are these colors muted here or are they using the same paper stock it was a way to kind of control it and squarespace because it's a limited platform also is good at making sure it looks good on any size device right so we put it out there and we were really touched by the response like not only by people who were, who are friends who read it but i had a lot of pe- friends in the comedy community who don't necessarily drive down the street to their their local comic book shop but because they are home during the pandemic and this was free and i said i tried to make this funny thing they checked it out and then they ended up sticking through it and reading the whole thing and we were really t- intrigued by the way that putting it out on the internet brought a lot of people in that might not necessarily read comics especially independent comics sure. so that's the answer to your first question the answer to your second question is it liberating to to have be able to go and rewrite stuff i would say the big answer is yes 100% because the biggest thing for us was it allowed us to just iterate and just make it better. Like we never I never stressed about is this the perfect version of this scene? Like the whole way through it, you know, June would take the scenes and draw up a sketch of the pages. At the beginning, I had no idea how to even judge them if it was going to work or not. And then he would draw them a little bit more in more detail and then ink them and we would sort of go through it and then we look, kind of learned like oh the, why is this joke not working is the joke not funny or is the timing not right like how do we figure out the question of timing in a comic strip like you can on set i would go and tell an actor like what if you hit this other word harder or what if you threw that joke away as you were leaving the room instead of trying to nail that punchline maybe this joke can't handle the weight of all that force or what if you're in the wider shot um, I didn't even know how to talk about that stuff with comics. I would kind of just say to June, like, I can't, I, maybe we should cut this joke. It's not seeming funny to me. And June would say, like, ah, let, let me take another run at it. Mm. And we, through this back and forth, we kind of developed a comic timing. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. And if it didn't work in the rewrite, we would kind of be, be, have the confidence to say, like, let's just keep going and maybe we'll figure it out later. And it allowed us to, I think one thing that often is hard for people who are making something is not being able to move on until every part of it they feel is perfect. And knowing that we can always, it's never the final document, like we can always go back and and revise it until we put put it out into the world. But in this case, the world allows you to even rewrite after it's out there in the world. I remember Jude and I talked about when Kanye released Life of Pablo. Like, I was just thinking he, that. <laughs> yeah, he then went back and re-recorded those songs after they were out. And that was, yeah. that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I blew my mind like, oh, you're, that's not allowed, but why not? Like, yeah, you can just do it. And it's sort of it was sort of it was really freeing, and of course the the flip side is, is it? Do you feel like it's never done? I don't really have that problem. I think some people may, might be wired to think like, is it never done? But the truth is, you get you don't want necessarily want to keep working on your old stuff forever. So I think you're yeah. you're eager, one is eager to move on to the next creative project because you as a 
creator have kind of learned the things you wanted from from it. And I'm sure there were things that we go if we go back to Genius Animal now would drive us crazy. And if we if we put out a book, maybe we'll change it then. Sure, sure. Okay, interesting. Um, so what are the do you have next steps in mind for the world of genius animals um, or what you'd like to see happen? Or is it kind of just wait and see, let people continue to word of mouth spread and hear about it and kind of go from there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've been stumbling through it this whole time. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's weird to have a plan at this point because we've never had any plans. Uh, I My instinct is to kind of wait till stuff opens up again and maybe there's cons and maybe publishers start <laughs> publishing things again and then see yeah. the what the world looks like at that point. But I I am proud of the story we made and I'm proud of how awesome it looks. And I know it's so hard to break through on the internet that you, the idea that there are people out there who might be into the book who haven't yet heard about it kind of wounds me. <laughs> like I don't, I don't mind if like people don't aren't into it, but I would love anybody who might be into it to be able to see it. Yeah. And, read it and i don't know the best way to get that to that place at this point i don't know what are your thoughts on that june well i mean i remember you know just talking about the timeline especially coinciding with the pandemic and i mean last march last april everything that happened i mean there was this there was this, this spirit almost everywhere where just the like, people were um because we were all, you know, sheltering in place, we were all on lockdown to sort of connect in whatever way possible that we could. And in a way, I think that was also a part of um, the website and, and releasing the book as we did. I mean, like we had this, we had this story that we wanted to share. And in a way, it was kind of like us, the people, everybody was home. Let's put it out there. Let's get people to read it because we have it. And, if they find it great, but maybe maybe they might they might like it, you know, during all this madness that's going on. Right. And um, and it's like in that spirit, it was pretty cool how like it became like you know people would like, text me like I can't wait till I can't wait till next Tuesday because I just read the I just read this chapter. You know, yeah. we didn't initially think about releasing it as chapters, and of course now it's all. It's all out there, and the full like the, the full story is out. But as we we're releasing it, it was yeah chapter by chapter, and so and so there was a little bit of like a cliffhanger element, and that was really fun and cool. And yeah, we were just it was just out there. When before we decided to do it this way, when we were kind of like struggling to figure out if we were going to go with um, you know with a, a publisher and then the timeline for that. Like the the idea of being able to like interface so quickly with an audience as we were doing, it just it yeah. just it just seemed so remote. It just didn't even seem possible during that one period when we realized like mm, if we go to the publisher option, it's just we don't know if it ever worked out because everything was just a big question mark. So that was just really exciting. And when I think back to let's say the summer of twenty twenty, still all the craziness, you know, that was the summer when we were releasing genius animals and that was like the big bright you know sunlight of that summer in a way because it was filled with this correspondence with people that were discovering the book a book that we had been working on for 
you know, I guess by that point, more than a year and a half or so. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how long we're working <laughs> a long time. I mean, I wrote the script 10 years ago. Like, this yeah. is one of the things that, and then Jude and I started talking seven years after that. Like, it was one of those things that we were always like, oh, we'll get around to making this. And then when we put it out, I was like, I can't believe it. We made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did the thing that I feel like everyone has that project that's on their whiteboard or, and, you know, they have a folder on their desktop. And I will say, like, anyone listening, try and do that thing because it actually does feel as good as you, you hope it will feel once you get it done. I bet, I, I think no matter what the reception we got for Genius Animals, and we're very touched by the reception we got, but I think it would have felt good just to know to ourselves, like, oh, we did make this happen. It's hard, you know, it's especially a comic book, like, it's so laborious. Like, took June so many hours to draw those scenes and to have finished it a whole book. That, it was just so rad the first time I saw the whole thing. It was so rad, that feeling. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic looking and, and a very funny but also touching work. I mean, it's really, I do think it's impressive for both of you having not necessarily worked in this comics format exactly like this before, like how how tight it is, how, how well, like, I mean, it reads like a very together graphic novel, you know, which, which I mean in the, the most complimentary sense of like, this is a tight package of a story that was meant to be told um, exactly as it is. I, June, there's some really cool stuff in here too, in terms of like layout where you get to like, I, I think especially during, um, I think it's like the one, one of the octopus sequences and there's a, uh, a Pink Floyd reference. It's wish you were here. And there's like the lyrics like wrapping around. It's just visually like very, very cool approach. Did you feel like you had the, did you feel like you got more comfortable as you went to start doing more like inventive stuff like that? Like, did you, did you actually feel that? And kind of at what point did you feel like, Oh, like I've, I've got this now. Like I've, I've been doing this for, you know, a few pages now. Um, I think, I think there was a point where I was just, you know, especially in the beginning, there was this whole like perf perfectionist, let's say instinct or, or like itch where you're just like, Oh God, I can't, I can't put that out there. I can't show that. That's not going to, and then, and then like all of a sudden, you know, the clock is ticking and all of a sudden you realize, my God, it's been however many weeks already or months. And I only got like this many pages done. Like this yeah. is not going to cut it. I can't, I can't be this scrupulous over every page or every panel or every gesture. I just got to just, do what I got to do and then just send it out there. And I think in a way when you're like kind of a, from what I could tell from buddies that work in the, in the industry and people that do comics for a living, like that's pretty much it. They just, they just hit the ground running. They get their number of pages in per, per week. Like how yeah. many, like a page a day, you know, and, and they just, whatever they put down is sort of like, that's kind of how it will look. And especially if you're doing like a serial book, um, so but I guess by the time, like, especially that sequence happens, it's a little bit later in the story. And I think I was sort of more, more into that mindset where I was just like, I mean, I, I had already kind of laid out that scene, but just like how it was colored and how just maybe how playful it might've been. And also just like dealing with audio, the, like the, the idea of audio in yeah. a graphic novel or a comic book form, you know, just it, for me, it's almost like this, this window is opportunity to be a little bit playful or experimental because you can't hear anything. So you got to allow the, the reader to just sort of, it's almost like a trigger or like a little um, signal to just like, okay, just maybe let yourself, let the reader's mind sort of 
hear whatever sound you're trying to evoke. And so I was like, okay, I'll just see how it might work um, in this way. And I'm not going to really think twice about it. I'm just going to go because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't really have time to edit too much. Um, and it was really like, it was really pretty much like that. And I mean, of course we would edit and there would be this back and forth. And usually I would just sort of send things out to Bali. I'd be like, what do you think? Is this, does this work for you? And then if, if I was like, mm, yeah, that, that could work. And then we would just kind of like, and then we would just like continue forward. A lot of times we'd be like, okay, that could be the way it works. And then, then after the fact, we'd look back and if there was like something that really kind of like jumped out and felt clunky, then we would readdress it. But if it didn't, there's like, okay, it's integrated. It's in there. It's part of the story now. Um, and that was, I thought, really cool. Like that, as far as like creating a book together, um, I, I feel like, yeah, that I could see how that really makes, how the, the whole process becomes sort of like this organic thing that just sort of evolves almost willy-nilly, like spontaneously. Yeah. Yeah. No, very interesting. Cool, cool. Uh, Vali, a couple questions for you. Um, the use of conspiracy theory in this, its it used to be kind of a fun thing, I feel like. Um, and now there's like a really dark and twisted world kind of when it comes to when people talk about conspiracy theories, right? Like it's it's become more actively harmful. Like we're recording this the weekend after, uh, you know, there were domestic terrorists raiding the the Capitol in D.C., right? And it's like it's it's a wild, wild time where conspiracy like I feel like when I was in high school or growing up, it was like fun to be like, hey, Kennedy conspiracies. And like you could go down a YouTube rabbit hole of like, you know, all these different angles. And it was like kind of this playful thing, whereas now it's become like deeply believed and felt did you did you kind of question that at all because there's so much conspiracy theory and and you're definitely doing it in the the more the having fun with it and are animals talking and are they gaining sentience and was was uh buzz bunny you know the the sort of this looney tunes uh you know analog part of like a military conspiracy kind of thing right it's all these very clever fun ways but i i think probably you know hopefully you try to understand the um what I mean when I say like conspiracy has now become so dark, was that something you kind of weighed and battled as you were writing this? So when I wrote this 10 years ago, initially that I was not so aware of the darkness of conspiracy theories. And, but when we were making the book, um, we did talk, June and I did talk about this and we had conversations about exactly what you're talking about. Like we want this to feel like coast to coast or the X files or, you know, those, you know, news of the world when you're checking out at the supermarket and the the vibe that we kept talking about is i feel like the conspiracies of our youth made the world feel seem like a bigger place right like crop circles showed up in farms and that made you feel like oh my god there are aliens out there and they have technology and what and they're not mean they're trying to communicate something to us and it's (laughs) and it's and it's nice or can animals talk like are we not alone on this earth to communicate and what might we talk to about with each other all of that stuff was really really fun and i and i thought even the x-files with its monster episodes those were fun conspiracies there was they had a darkness to them sometimes when people did evil things with those conspiracies to add tension but for the most part it was fun to watch the x-files it was not scary to watch the X-Files. And that was something that was big to us and we wanted to keep that up. Whereas the conspiracies of today, um, they make the world feel smaller to me. They, I feel like they're isolating. And mm-hmm. people, they attract people who are isolated and want to feel a smaller community within that isolation. And to be perfectly honest, like they are, 
Nick Durazno, he made that um, that amazing comic, Sabrina, about yeah, yeah. that world. And it's um, beautiful and fantastic and feels so of this time. And it's also really, really bleak. And yeah. I don't know that those two, that those two worlds can fit together. Like, even when I listen to Coast to Coast now, they do seem like they, you know, even though I think they may have listeners who, who are in both worlds, Coast to Coast still feels fun to me. Like, it's yeah. still, and I don't even think that's a choice that, you know, George Nuri is making. Like, he just wants, he has a vision of the world that is big and amazing and there are spirits to talk to and there might be evil too, but like that's because there's good and evil on earth and there's good and evil in the spiritual realm. And that's, that is fun to me. And that is interesting to think about to me. And that's the world of conspiracies that I want. And it's also funny to me, to be perfectly honest. Like I, I talked about when listening to coast to coast, I would sometimes love that sometimes someone would call in and have a experience and, with a ghost and George Norrie would be like, you know, I know longtime listeners have heard about this before, but I myself had an out of body experience and he takes it really seriously. And he talks about his own experiences with ghosts and other times a caller will come call in and be like, yeah, and, you know, I'm the reincarnation of Archduke Ferdinand. And you can tell George Norrie is like, this guy is crazy. <laughs> like he has a line there of like the person talking about a ghost is real. Now I have to deal with this crazy person, but and I have to be polite because that's my role as yeah. a host and entertainer. I find I found the fact that he has a line of what is crazy and what is not, which I'm sure I think a lot of things. You know, I live in California and I'm around a lot of people who like. I'm sure think like bee pollen like deals with their allergies or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That would make other people just roll their eyes and I doesn't make me blink. But we all have that line and that that seeing that line in the conspiracy theory world and that that fun world I find to be very, very funny. So it was it was fun to explore it there. I don't know that I would have any fun exploring it in the world of Q. No, no, right. I don't yeah. know your listeners, Dave, our Q fans, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I never has uh, accurate demographics on that. <laughs> I suppose, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think most people know where I'm at. I remember um, we were going we were, we were going back and forth uh, about this very this very specific issue. You know, just like not really wanting to because there's a scene where they go to where she goes, um, Alexandra goes into the this the bar. And it's, it's basically like filled with kind of these guys that believe all these different conspiracy theories yeah. and, and still keeping the tone and the feeling of, of, the, of the story more in the realm of, uh, yeah, if anything, like X-Files or a little bit kind of quirky and like the conspiracies are sort of like these far out there, you know, but maybe a little bit goofy, like Batboy or, you know, like green alien men that have infiltrated mm. uh, the government, you know, like all of this type of stuff. And when we decided to put the date, the date in the very beginning of the, of the book, so it sets, it basically takes place like, you know, end of the 2000s or early yeah. 2010s. It, it was just kind of like, we're just going to try it. a little bit like what happens in, in Big Lebowski, you know, sometime in the early 90s. And just somehow it is kind of like, we're just not going to 
move into what's going on nowadays where things mm -hmm. have been really dark and heavy and you know maybe some of the people that might be going to that bar would be with certain intentions like it was more like you know <laughs> the heyday, heyday of quirky conspiracies of like the 90s or something like those are the, those guys were you know living through that time um at least for me personally like i kind of it was able to just sort of like oh, we're not going to deal with that like we're just kind of like keep that tone put the set the story during that time in that place in brooklyn and, and we could just kind of go from there yeah yeah no i think genius animals definitely captures that essence i mean it, it, that's the feel that's the aesthetic of of the work is that lighter phase i just it is it, it's fascinating now because it's even just like the phrase conspiracy theory it just brings up such different connotations than, yeah. than it did even a decade ago it's kind of wild um but you know i, I think like ideally we can <laughs> we can work our way back to that place conspiracy theory radio station and june had put a stuffed like three-eyed green alien uh as like on a compute you know on a, on a computer server yeah and I, it was blocked by something and i was like june that looks like it, it could look like a pepe the frog and i don't mm. i don't want anyone to even like their mind to go there when yeah. they're having fun in this book like this book is escape from right now and june it like didn't even occur to us but like there was a flicker in my mind and i'm like oh i don't want to even think about I don't even think about that. All of this stuff that's happening today. I want people to lose themselves in the book, and yeah. I, remember, I, I think you either moved it or you just made it something else. I can't remember what it became. Yeah, yeah. I just pretty much made. I think I might have just taken it out. Yeah. No. It's it's it is. It's like it becomes a different story all of a sudden, whether yeah. it's whether it means to or not. Yeah. That's that is that's an interesting anecdote. Um. All right. Cool. Let's. Uh. So Genius Animals is excellent. I highly recommend people to check it out. You can check it out on what is it? GeniusAnimals.net. Uh, or just, of course, search for Genius Animals, question mark. I did, I do have to mention, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I Googled Genius Animals yesterday to do some quick research, and I got the, like, Genius Notes for Pink Floyd's uh, Animals album. <laughs> and then I, then I was listening to Animals all day yesterday. <laughs> this comic book gets more people to listen to Animals, an underrated Pink Floyd album, I believe. Yeah. I think that's also good. Yeah, yeah, it was a win-win for <laughs> um but no please check that out uh let's talk what's next for both of you um june we can start with you what uh what projects do you have coming up things you want to plug um where can people find you all that fun stuff uh yeah well i'm i'm working on a um actually another uh graphic novel project um it's still kind of in the very beginning works but um so i don't want to uh, i don't know how much i should i should say about it but um yeah it's it's going to be a little bit more it's going to be um I guess a more traditional approach, as far as let's say, like um, not completely all digital. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's actually I'm um, I'm learning how to do it more, like with just straight like pen and uh, ink and watercolor and things like that. So that's been interesting. And then I also um, because we're all in confinement, uh, I do uh, I teach online these days. You know, watercolor mostly. Mm -hmm. So um, I do that. With my own uh, through my own uh, site, and then also with uh, Etcher uh, Etcher Lab Studios. So that's um yeah, that's what I've been up to these days. Good, good, cool. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that work. Uh, Valley, what do you have coming up that you're that you're interested in plugging? 
Uh, I'm back in, I'm pretty deep in the, my TV world again. Just this week, I started the room. I created this, you know, multi-camera TV show for Alec Baldwin and Kelsey Grammer. And we're, we're writing them all right now and shooting them, starting to shoot whenever the pandemic makes that frame safe. Yeah. It is a... Uh, is a in front of a studio audience sort of show like those two guys are so theatrical and love the energy of an audience that you know we tried to think of you know you know could we maybe shoot them without the audience and then we can add laugh later like we can play it for an audience but i think we're trying to also all have a good time on this and they deserve to have that good time in front of that audience and feeling the audience's energy so we might not shoot it until March or April when it gets safe to pack that many people into an into a room, but it's yeah. really been really fun. When I I moved out to LA in 2003, and I grew up watching all those in front of a studio audience shows like Seinfeld and and Friends and News Radio, and loving all of those shows. But by the time I got here, single camera shows that are more like movies, like. My name is Earl. Was my first job in Thirty Rock, and not, and there's no laugh track. We're all, we're all the rage, and I spent my whole career on that. And it was really fun to start writing this show, that is like a true like six scene Neil Simon play with these. There's a third character that um, we're we're still in the process of casting, but there's these two like lions of comedy, just like unleashing them on the stage and with each other. It's been it's been really fun to do and. That's that's been my creative outlet for the beginning part of this year. Amazing, amazing. What's that called? I missed the name. We don't have a name for it right now. It is the untitled Alec Baldwin Kelsey Grammar Project. But we'll- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, my, Th- those uh, are the names then. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to- does, uh, does does Alec Baldwin usually get the top billing? Like, do you, is that like interchangeable? Like the untitled Kelsey Grammar yeah. Alec Baldwin. Uh, it is totally interchangeable. Okay. He's- or G, so that's why it's yeah, truly right. Yeah, play it safe alphabetically, so you don't uh, so you don't get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's why. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, we'll keep an eye out for both of those. Again, I'll include links to Genius Animals and all that fun stuff in the show notes here. Uh, but Valley June, thanks so much for your time today. This was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I'm excited to share this work with more people. I've been hyping it up to to my comics friends, so I appreciate you hopping on the chat. Thank you very much, Dave, for having us, sir. Yeah.